With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Hockey News Podcast. It's Matt Larkin here. It's Ryan Kennedy here. It's Ken Campbell here. It's Stephen Ellis, producer lurking in the shadows. And we are here to preview another division. We were excited last time we did the North and we said, okay, by the next time we do a podcast, we're going to have fully realigned divisions, a season announced. And it's true. We are excited to preview the new central division today. And to give you guys a quick breakdown of the rules, we are ranking these teams according to our hockey news yearbook, which has been out on newsstands for a few weeks now. Some little things have changed. So we're not necessarily going to agree with every consensus rank from the magazine, but that's our jumping off point. We're going to dive in. We're going to start at the bottom. And it's probably, you know, I'm sure you guys can guess it's the Detroit Red Wings fresh off the worst season in the NHL in 20 years, the 99-2000 Thrashers, and then the Red Wings of last year. So, Kenny, first of all, how are you doing? Tell me a little bit about your holiday and then dive in and start talking about the Red Wings, what you like. I'm doing great. My holiday has been probably the same as everybody else's in quarantine and uh, just uh, eager to start watching hockey again. So, um, with respect to the Detroit Red Wings, uh, what I like is that I think, you know, Steve Eiserman's brought in some guys to that team that I think won't make them appreciably better, <laughs> uh, but it will sort of keep some of their younger guys accountable and it will teach them how to be pros, you know, like the Bobby Ryans, the Alex Biegas, the John Merrills, you know, guys like that, that they'll, they, they won't, I don't think they'll make them that much better, but they will you know, help the young guys along and maybe, you know, maybe not allow them to accept losing so much. Um, you know, and, and I, I just like that they've kept the, like Steve Eiserman has kept this sort of philosophy that, um, you know, I, I, the way it looks to me, like in Detroit is like, if the tank happens, okay, let it unfold and let it happen. But, but we're not going to, we're not going to spur it on. It's not going to be an organizational decision that we're going to tank here. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's a good, that's a good thing. And Ryan, uh, tell me what you think about the Red Wings and also just, uh, first of all, a little bit about your holiday as well, please, sir. Yeah, pretty much a quarantine holiday, lots of video games. Uh, it's sort of been the, the rule of the day and uh, just hanging out at home, being safe. So that's all been positive. As for the Red Wings, you know, I, I agree with Ken. I would also say, you know, I, I like what they're they're doing in net, bringing in Thomas Grice. I think that's an upgrade. Uh, you know, I mean, Jimmy Howard didn't have any help really in front of him, but he had a, a pretty tragic season there in the Red Wings net last year. Uh, with Thomas Grice, you, you get a guy who's coming from a successful organization with the Islanders. It's a guy that, you know, can give you a lot of starts and, and really is still proving that he can be a starter caliber goalie. You know, he was always competing against somebody on Long Island. And now there's 
less competition for him. And it's just a matter of, let's see what you can do. Uh, can you lift this team up? Because they're going to need solid goaltending. The defense core, uh, it more resembles an NHL defense core than it did last year, but it's still pretty threadbare. And they do have some exciting forwards. They, they have a lot of help on the way, but that help is still developing. So that's why we have them where we do. This is still probably going to be a rough year, but I'd say it's going to at least be a respectable year. Fair. And, and you know, I, I put under my, under my likes, I wrote, well, should at least be an NHL team. And I think that's how I describe the Red Wings. You know, they're not going to be an embarrassment this year. I think they're still going to be bad, but they filled in the, the roster with capable NHLers who I think are going to force the kids, anyone who's ready, whether it's, you know, someone like Jenny Svechnikov, who's knocking on the door and needs to be in the NHL, if he's ever going to make it, they have to earn jobs now over guys like Bobby Ryan. And I also like, you know, there's some, some tinkering, some roster engineering by Steve Eisenman that I think is expansion draft friendly. You know, I don't think it's coincidence that he signed Nemesnikov and Stetcher to two-year deals. He's sort of setting up that expansion draft bait. So, you know, I, I think this team's going to be at least, a little bit harder to play against, a little bit competitive. But if we transition to the dislikes, you know, I, I'm not convinced, Ken, you were mentioning that, you know, it's not necessarily a tank by design. I don't know if that's true because the Red Wings, we know they're holding more Sider back. They're holding Joe Valeno back. Two of their best prospects are not going to be joining the team to start the season. They're staying in Europe. So, and, I, and as far as I know, Ryan, you could correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think Lucas Raymond's coming this year at all either. So you're holding back all your best prospects again, and you filled kind of, you know, replacement level guys onto your roster i think this is absolutely a tank job again and if i consider it a dislike it's just that you know this team's still gonna be pretty low on talent because the be the best most exciting guys are not going to be there yet other than philip sedina if he's healthy he's going to get a good chance to be an important part of the lineup uh but other than that you know your high-end sk skill you have dylan larkin and anthony mantha you've got tyler bertuzzi on that top line and there's a pretty steep drop, drop off still so i still think this is just a really bad team and that would be i guess what i call a dislike and i think it's by design uh, Ryan, what do you think? What do you not like about the Red Wings? <laughs> and well, I know there's a lot you can say there. Yeah, I think you nailed it. Is, is this they can't hang with most teams in the NHL this year? They're they're just not there yet. And you know, you, you bring in these guys, and you know, Sam Gagne is another player where you know you don't necessarily bring him in to win, but he is an incredible mentor. I mean, that's kind of been his job the past few seasons is going to teams. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's in the NHL, sometimes it's been at the AHL level. And Sam Gagne has been a terrific pro to shepherd along young players because he's been there before. He's seen pretty much everything in his career. And, you know, that's the kind of guy that you have on your team as you're trying to transition into greater things. So he's not necessarily going to help the on-ice product right now, but he can be part of you know, sort of a holistic effort to get better. Um, but yeah, I mean, they just, they don't have the enough talent. They don't have enough consistency to really be any kind of threat right now. And, and that's what they're building towards with this pipeline that is getting better and bigger as we speak. Um, but as you mentioned, you know, a, a lot of those key components aren't going to be playing for the Red Wings this season. Yeah, that defense core, though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I, I, I don't like them on the back line. I, I think that they're, you know, as, as you mentioned, Matt, after the first line, the, 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 the talent drop-off is precipitous, shall we say, uh, which I think will make 
the Red Wings pretty easy to shut down and will make that top line a lot easier to shut down because it doesn't have any support. Like they're going to kind of have to do all the heavy lifting. And if they don't, if, if you shut them down, you, you pretty much, you pretty much shut down that, that whole team. Um, yeah, they, they're just not, they're just not, uh, the, 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 the dearth of talent is, is really noticeable on this team. And that's, that's why we have them picked for last. And that's why we have them picked for, you know, quite possibly 31st overall in a 31 team league. And the last category, as we did with the North division, it's a drunk fan at a wedding is talking to you. You have to summarize the team in a quick sentence. So it's some crazy drunk guy. Whoa, let's go Red Wings. Yo, yo, bro. Are they going to be good this year? Are we going to be better? Okay. And then Ken, tell me one sentence about the Red Wings now. Don't worry, bro. The lottery cannot possibly be that cruel to you two years in a row. Trust in Stevie Y. He's never let us down. And I, I say just clever Steve Eisenman. This team, it's still tanking, but it's going to be less embarrassing. Probably another really high draft pick next year, and then you're going to start building. So next up, we have uh, by far the most unlucky, the unluckiest team of the offseason so far, the Chicago Blackhawks who we already saw the freak injury to Kirby Doc, fractured wrist, probably going to cost him the entire season, maybe playoffs, but I don't know if Chicago is going to be in the playoffs. You have Alex Nylander, who's also done. And now as we record this podcast, we've just gotten that news of a mysterious illness to Jonathan Tapes. At the time right now that we're recording this, we don't know what the illness is, but it sounds like it's something serious. We don't know what it's going to be, but it, it's going to sideline him as far as we know. So that's three important pieces of the puzzle gone. Uh, but if you're looking for positives for Blackhawks fans who are upset right now, Ken, what do you like about Chicago for this season? Well, I like that Patrick Kane is still an elite player in the NHL. I think he's an elite point producer and he's still a top 10 player in the NHL. I like that. Um, you know, I like that. I like what Dominic Kubalik did last year, although I'm still not convinced he's not one of those guys that's a really good player on a bad team. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, you know, trading Brandon Saad for Nikita Zadorov, they got a little tougher on the blue line, uh, probably a little harder to play against there. So that's, that's, it's slim pickings with, with Chicago too, as far as I'm concerned, as far as, you know, finding those nuggets, but uh, those are a couple. Yeah. And I kind of look to the defense score as well. You know, Zadorov, obviously it gives them a, a quite a different look, but also, you know, the emergence of Adam Boakvist, this is one of their key prospects that, you know, is now getting into his NHL years. And he's exactly the kind of player you want on your blue line these days. He's incredibly mobile, you know, very offensively inclined and, you know, the Chicago Blackhawks, you know, in their heyday, they had some fantastic blue liners. Some of them are still around. Um, but, you know, we're starting to make that transition from that Duncan Keith, uh, Brent Seabrook era. Obviously, with Brent Seabrook, that era has already passed. And Keith is, you know, very much still a part of Chicago. But, you know, I, I look at that defense core and it's, it, it's more interesting than it was last year, if I can use sort of a, a random word. But I think that, you know, they're going to have to get a lot out of their defense to get the puck to Patrick Kane and whoever they have down the middle, I'm not sure who that will be right now. For sure, yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't hate this team offensively. Well, especially, you know, now it's, their depth is damaged. But it, it did look like, you know, it's funny. I thought, oh, they've improved their depth. You know, you, you added Carl Soderberg. You brought him to his Yanmark. Even Pius Suter, 
who was dominant overseas. You know, you know it's like, is he going to be another Artemi Panarin or Dominic Kubalik? The Blackhawks have this ability to unearth these guys that are not ballyhooed prospects. So I wonder if Pius Suter is going to be the next one. But now when you kind of zoom out, I think you realize that Sam Bowman was aware of a lot of the problems with the injuries. And these were supposed to be, at, le- at least on paper, we thought these, these were signings that were, you know, improving the depth. But now it might be patchwork. Maybe the Hawks realized that they're going to be without Jonathan Taves. Maybe they knew several weeks ago. And that's why you bring in someone like Carl Soderberg. I still think it's at least it's a competitive forward group and Patrick King can still play, of course. Alex Dabrinkit, I don't think could be any worse than he was last year. I, I'd expect him to bounce back. So at least this team can run and gun a little bit because they're going to have to. We're going to get to that later. They're not a good defensive team. Uh, Ryan, what do you not like about the Hawks? Other than, of course, the obvious, which is the loss of some very important players with injuries. Yeah, well, it kind of goes part and parcel with that is they are just devastated down the middle with no Taves. And then we don't know how long Taves will be out, but it sounds like it won't be for the beginning of the season. And no Kirby Doc, that blew a huge hole in their depth chart. And, you know, you have talented guys like Kane and Kabalik and Alex Brinkett, but who's going to get them the puck? Is it Lucas Volmark? Is it Carl Soderberg? Is it, you know, is Yanmark playing center? Those are not top six options. Those are sort of middle six to bottom six guys. And, you know, my big worry with Chicago is that they're just going to get caved in when it comes to possessing the puck because they don't have the centers to move things in the right direction. They don't have elite healthy centers to get the puck to the Canes and to Brinkets and, and the other weapons they have. So that's my biggest fear. Also, Right now, they have the worst goaltending in the NHL by far. I mean, they do not have a proven starter right now. They have Colin D'Elia and Malcolm Subban signed. You know, both those guys are backups at best. And they're now putting those players in a position where not only do they have to log serious minutes, but they actually have to be difference makers because Chicago doesn't have the talent up front to paper over those deficiencies in net. Yeah, you know, what I don't like in Chicago is that they continue to peddle this nonsense that they're a, a quasi-playoff contending team. You know, I mean, I think anyone who looks at this team from the outside realizes that this team, you know, I, and, and I think maybe in some ways, you know, getting into the extended playoffs and beating the Oilers in the first round of the playoffs last year might have been the worst thing that could have happened to them because it, it kind of delayed the the, the, the the sort of thought process that we're not that good and maybe we should start retooling here. And, you know, I mean, okay, if you're, okay, if you're going to go on that premise, okay, let's go on the premise that, you know, maybe and if everything falls together well, which it doesn't look like it's going to this year, maybe we could come close to contending for a playoffs. Well, okay, fine. Okay, then let's buy into that. But then you, then you have Colin Delia and Malcolm Subin as your as your two goaltenders. I mean, it doesn't make sense. It it doesn't make any sense. Like, you know, I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna gun for a playoff spot, you're gonna try to be competitive. Then you, you know you've got to be competitive and and decent at the best at the at the most important position in the game. Um, so I I don't really like um, that they that they can. They, 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 well, I guess, you know, when you have Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane and they're still, you know, they're still, you know, sort of at the top of their game, they're still elite players. I guess you kind of have to do that. But to me, I mean, 
play your identity, be what you are and figure that out first of all, and then, and then sort of go in, go in, 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 you know, whatever direction you're going to go in. Right. And it's good points. And, and I did talk to Stan Bowman about it like about a month ago. Right. And I asked him, I said, you know, did, did the beating Edmonton change anything? He said, no. And his whole theory was that, you know, we are rebuilding, but we already started. We're not, the rebuilding doesn't start now. It started a couple of years ago, which, you know, you can make the case, but it's still a long way away. I think he is trying to appease those veterans, you know, Taves and Kane, guys like that, Seabrook, who don't like the idea of the team being a true rebuilder. So I do think it's kind of trying to send a message that is more, I think, about appeasing those stars. But when you look at the way the Hawks are structured right now, it's, it's alarming from a defensive standpoint. I don't think people understand how bad they were defensively last year. They, they led the league by a mile in, you know, shots allowed, high danger chances allowed, scoring chances allowed, everything you can think of. And they were one of eight teams in this millennium in the last 20 years to allow 35 plus shots per game. And if you look at 20 seasons worth of 30 teams, that's 600 plus teams. So that's only eight teams out of 600. That's about, you know, give or take it's 1% or something. It's a little bit more than 1% of the entire NHL population of the last two decades. That's allowed 35 plus shots a game. The Blackhawks were one of them. So you take that team, you decimate them at center with injuries and you remove Corey Crawford, who bailed them out, had an amazing season. And you put in basically me in net this year. Subban, Kevin Lankin, Colin Delia to a team that was historically bad defensively and now has lost more key puck possession drivers. I think that's a terrifying proposition. It's really going to put to the theory, the idea, you know, the zero goalie theory that anyone can step in and become a star in net. And we saw it with Columbus, you know, Berzlikens and Corpusello. They at least had some pedigree, but they weren't expected to be as good as they were. So Chicago is really putting that theory to the test. And if they get good goaltending this year out of that group, then I think that no one should ever pay for goaltending again because it really proves that anybody who's a top 100 goalie in the world can step in and be dominant. Right now, I think it looks terrifying on paper. And if I'm kind of summarizing the team, I just say I think the Chicago is going to give up the most goals in the league. And, you know, I do feel bad for them. We're not going to get to see how far they really are in their rebuild because of the key injuries. And I think it's the dock one that hurts the most. Taves, of course, is so important, but just from a developmental perspective, to lose a year of dock because Chicago, they need him to start moving along and help them make decisions on what to do with Dylan Strom and, you know, whether they need to trade him for something else. So I, I, I just think it's, it's unlucky and the team's already not looking too good this year. So it's, it's going to be a rough year. Uh, Kenny, give me a quick summary of Chicago before we move on. Well, I guess I'd tell the guy at the wedding, you know, you waited almost 50 years for a Stanley Cup uh, and then you got greedy and won a bunch of them. Uh, so don't complain too much, but also don't expect, you're probably not going to have to wait 50 more years for another Stanley Cup, but you're going to probably have to wait 10. <laughs> it's going to be a while. And I would say, no, you're not making the playoffs. And yes, it's okay to put ketchup on hot dogs. <laughs> All right, next up, we have the Florida Panthers. And I'm just going to say it off the bat. I'm done. I'm done. Every year, they embarrass me. Everyone has one of those teams, right? Every every journalist or prognosticator has a team that burns them every year. And Florida Panthers, I'm looking at you. You've embarrassed me for the last time. I'm no longer betting on you to be a breakout team. But anyways, we'll start with, on that note, let's start with what we like about the Panthers. So, Kenny, what do you like about Florida? I, what I like about Florida is that th this is a team that, you know, like you, you, you had a bang, bang on about your, you know, your assessment of them. I, I think they've long been one of the most overrated teams in the NHL, and I think they still are. Um, but I, I, they, to me, there's been a soap opera going on there that's that's not warranted. You know what I mean? Like it's like they're not good enough to be this dramatic. 
you know, off ice and with all those, you know, with all those things. But I like now that they've, you know, they've got Bill Zito in place. They've got stability. And I think a lot of competence at both the GM and the coaching levels, which I think is very, very important for an organization. I think they've got that. I, I like what I like some of the moves that, uh, that, that Bill Zito's made, you know, getting, getting uh, Alexander Winneberg, getting, uh, you know, uh, Patrick Hornquist and, and, you know, sort of making them a little deeper up front, you know, supplementing that top six a little bit. I like that they have a little more grit in their lineup. They're probably going to be a little more difficult to play against. So I, I, I think things are, you know, the, the, the needle's moving in the right direction. And, and I think it's, it's moving in that direction because they finally realized that, you know, they've got to have some stability and some, you know, someone with a, with a steady hand at the, at the, at the controls here. Mm. And, you know, speaking of offense, you know, you look at this team and Alexander Barkov, obviously one of the best two-way centers in the league and Jonathan Huberto, I mean, he just puts up numbers. And I think that, you know, as Ken mentioned, you bring in more of these forwards to fill in behind those guys and it, it's got to help. And I understand where you're coming from, Matt, because it really is Lucy with the football when it comes to the Florida Panthers, where you say, oh, well, this year they're looking pretty good. But I mean, on paper, like it's a it's a good, like scrappy team, you know, like Mackenzie Weger. I think a lot of people had their eyes opened as to what he can do on the back end last season. And, you know, they got him under a new contract. And if you're an optimist, you say, well, Sergei Bobrovsky can't be worse. So if he's even marginally better, they probably win three or four more games. And if last season had been normal and they had been slightly better, they would have been a playoff team. So by that logic, they have to be in the mix. I, it's not an overwhelming team by any stretch of the imagination, but I think they've filled in enough that they were, there will be the competition so that youngsters like Grigory Denisenko and Owen Tippett can't simply walk on to the lineup. You know, mm -hmm. it's no guarantee they'll make it now. Whereas a couple of months ago, it really looked like Florida had just kind of penciled those guys in on the wing. So now you have a semblance of competition, and I think that's very healthy. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, looking at the roster core, the talent's not the problem. They do have talented players. Like you guys said, Barkov and Uberdo, and even Aaron Ekblad, I think, very quietly made some really nice strides last year. I think, if I remember correctly, he was like first in the league among all defensemen in primary assists per 60 minutes and if you look at his career trajectory he's right right around the same age where Victor Hedman's offense and his overall game exploded right and you saw it with Chris Pronger and Jovanovski back in the 80s mega prospect defensemen that are big guys and often they take a few years before they have the true breakout and I think people may misremember that about guys like Pronger and Hedman that you know four, three four or five years into the career people weren't necessarily saying they were hall of famers and it was like, they weren't bust, but it was like, Oh, they haven't become the mega star they were supposed to. And then they, then they did. And I still think there's plenty of time for that to happen with Ekblad. You know, he's only been in the league since 2014, 15. And I think he showed sort of sneaky signs of, of moving in that direction. And of course, he's got Joe Quenville mentoring him, just like Quenville was the man behind Duncan Keith. Um, and, you know, like you said, Ryan Bobrovsky, I think should be better. If you look at Bobrovsky's career history, and I remember doing a story where I, I talked to Bobrovsky for this, when he was a blue jacket, when he had that, that big swoon in his game after the first Vesna, he rebuilt his body. He was getting so many soft tissue injuries. He lost like 20 pounds. He changed his diet. And 
that just showed how dedicated he was. And then he went and won the Vezina the next year, I believe, right? So we know he's shown the ability to bounce back. He's got a reputation on his own teams as being, you know, the, the first guy in the gym, last guy out of the gym type of guy, right? So I do think that it would be a shock if Bobrovsky wasn't a lot better this year. Um, and, you know, the thing with the kids, with, with Owen Tippett and, and Gregory Denisenko, you know, they did, obviously the Panthers have added some, they've added Hornquist and, and Anthony Duclair, but they're not Hoffman and Dad enough. So the fact that there's still some room to climb up there, I think is a vote of confidence for both guys. They're both very intriguing prospects. I think Tippett looked really good in the AHL last year. And Denisenko to me, he could be a game breaker. Like he's got the skill and the feistiness. He could be like an Alexander Radulov type of player, I think. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if he made a splash right away. So talent is not the problem, but there it's just not all working together. So what do you guys not like about the team? We'll start with you, Ryan. Well, I am still concerned about the goaltending. Um, you know, Bobrovsky, and part of it is the the salary. You know, I, I can't divorce the two where when you're making $10 million a year, you better be the best goalie in the league, not the worst. And, you know, when they hired Bill Zito, uh, you know, I asked Bill Zito what he thought. And, and you know, he obviously goes back a long way with Bobrovsky uh, back to the Columbus days and and he did mention, you know, that Bobrovsky was already back in the gym at the time. And this was just after the season had ended. Um, but I, I am kind of concerned that this is what he is now, that this is a goaltender that had a really good run and now it's on the decline. And the problem there is that you're stuck with him. Like nobody's going to take on that contract for years if you're lucky. And, you know, we've talked about other teams where it's like, oh, I can't believe they moved that deal. This one, like I've talked to people, you cannot move it. So you're basically stuck with him. And, and if that's the case and he's not producing, then you're really leaning on Chris Dreger to bail you out. And that's a tall task. So that's my biggest concern is that this team isn't good enough to recover if the goaltending isn't at least above average and I'm not sure if they have that right now yeah I'm right with you Ryan I I, I I'm not a believer in Florida's goaltending uh I think it's all well and good that Sergei Bobrovsky is all dedicated and in the gym but you know wh what reps is he doing in the gym to help him stop the puck you know st stop the puck okay we love that you're the first in the gym and the last out and that you've got this you know this sort of you know never never die attitude but this, you know, this just for just for kicks, just you know, stop the puck. And you know, maybe, maybe, and even even just to mix things up here, do it a lot early in the season and see how that works. You know, don't be terrible for the first quarter of the season. Just try to, you know, maybe mix things up and be be you know good. <laughs> and and see that to me, that's that's one of Florida's biggest historic problems. And Bobrovsky's is they're both. They've both been historically notoriously slow starters. And if they do that this year, coming out of the gate in a compressed season, they're done. They're done before it even gets halfway through. So, yeah. Fair. You know, that big time shade on Bobrovsky. I'm not, I'm not willing to, I'm, re I'm not ready to give up on him. I still think he's relatively young for a goalie. And I always, I always use it as the Tim Thomas barometer. Like Bobrovsky is still younger now than Tim Thomas was when he first arrived back in the NHL and began his late career run. So I still think there's, there's plenty of hope and he's a hardworking guy. So I think he's going to get better. Uh,
But and the thing about the Panthers is, you know, last year offense was their calling card. They're one of the better offensive teams in the league. But you know, you lose Hoffman and Dodonov, and yes, you're bringing in Duclair, and, and there's good, promising rookies coming up. But I still, if you look at the math, I still think that it, it's a net loss on offense because I, I don't think you know we have to give credit to how good Hoffman and Dodonov were the last couple of years in Florida. They're very, they're excellent forwards. Uh, so I think this team's going to score less, and that's a problem because of the question mark in net. And also on defense, you know, you've brought in Raiko Gudis and Marcus Nudibar. Those are good bottom pair guys. But the problem, what Florida needed last year, they didn't need bottom pair help. They needed top pair guy. You know, you have Ekblad and Yandel, Mike Matheson. He just, his career went in the tank. It wasn't a fit. He ends up playing forward. Now he's gone. And I don't think you, you've added that extra top four defenseman that I think this team desperately needs. I think it's their number one need. And I believe Dale Talon even said that last season, that if I remember correctly, when he was there, that he wanted to pursue another defenseman. He didn't get one and now he's gone. Uh, and I don't, I don't think that Bill Zito got one either. So I think that's a big problem. I think that the team's worse offensively and not that much better defensively. And if I'm summarizing them, I'll take the turn here. I just say, oh, I wrote, I'm done picking them to do anything. Uh, but the reason is I just think they look weaker on paper than they did a year ago and they were a disappointment a year ago. So I'm not overly optimistic that the Panthers are going to be a playoff team this year. Uh, what do you think, Ryan? Well, if I'm going to be at the wedding, I'm going to say you're going to love Radko Gudis until he gets suspended and then suspended again. <laughs> and I would tell the guy, you know, really the mushy middle isn't the worst place in the world to be. Oh, no, wait a minute. Yeah, it actually is the worst place in the world to be. <laughs> <laughs> and just watch the, watch the light go to the guy's eyes on the day of the wedding. Huh. All right, now we're getting to the middle of the pack in the division. Uh, next up, we have the Nashville Predators, a team that they're always in it. The question is, are they evolving? Uh, Kenny, what do you like about the Preds? Well, I think the same thing everybody likes about the Predators every year. You know, their, their defense is elite, elite, elite. They have, you know, the, the, the defending Norris Trophy, Norris Trophy winner and Roman Yossi. They have one of the most underrated defensemen, I think, in the league in Matthias Ekholm. They're smooth. They move the puck well. They defend well. They're mobile. You know, they can start the offense. They can finish the offense. In fact, they are the offense in Nashville <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, I like that. I like that they improved the bottom six a little bit with guys like Nick Cousins and Brad Richardson. I think Brad Richardson really helps them in a fourth line role, and you know, really helps with the penalty killing. I like that. I like that they got a little more snarl on the blue line with Mark Borietsky. And uh, yeah, I mean, again, it's from the back end. Uh, the, the, the same thing that everyone always likes about the Predators. And going back to the, the forwards, a couple of other, I think, kind of under the radar moves that kind of intrigue me. They bring in Eric Halla, who is fast and has proven to be successful in a couple of markets now. And then I would also say I'm intrigued by Luke Cunning getting kind of a second chance. He never really took off in Minnesota. And this is a kid that had an excellent junior career. You know, he was seen as just like the exemplary player at the University of Wisconsin. And of course, he was with the NTDP before that. Uh, very impressive at the World Juniors. And for whatever reason, it just didn't work out with the Wild. So now he comes over to Nashville. I think, you know, he obviously has something to prove and he can be that sort of Swiss Army knife guy. But those are two other players that I would add to that forward core where you say, oh, that's interesting. There could be some nice value there. 
uh, just a fit within that sort of menagerie of forwards that, that Nashville has. And then obviously, as Ken mentioned, you know, that defense core is, is one of the best in the NHL. And I think we, we haven't even seen the best of Dante Fabro yet because he is young and still beginning his NHL career. So there's room for growth, if you can believe it, on that blue line core. Yeah, I'm with you guys. And, you know, the fact that they've solidified it with Borjatsky and also Matt Benny, I laugh at, like, I picture those contract negotiations, you know, with David Paul. They're like, would you like a million bucks to play 11 minutes a night for a year? Because, you know, our other guy, we got we got a top four. They're going to play, like, 48 minutes a night, 49 minutes. Like, oh, great. Yeah, sure. Sounds great. Easy gig. Uh, it's interesting. We know what the Preds' strengths are. And I think, you know, with those additions, like you said, Ryan, Halla and Richardson, Cunning, and then they brought back Michael Granlin. They've gotten really deep. I think their forward group just top to bottom is one of the deepest in the league. And their goaltending, I think we can be confident it's going to be above average. There's still, I think, weird politics of Rene Saros, Rene Saros, and, and UC Saros really seem to take the job uh, in down the stretch in the regular season. But Rene is, you know, your, your top goalie in franchise history, maybe your top player in franchise history, and his shadow still looms large. And the, it always feels like he's going to be given another chance to get the job back. But either way... Whoever's in net, I think overall, the Preds goaltending should be at least a little bit above average. If we're talking dislikes, though, here's the problem for me. I think the Predators are doubling down on everything they were already good at. You know, great defense. They add more defensemen. Deep, you know, defensively conscientious forward group. They added more. Like, it is, Brad Richardson couldn't be any more of a Nashville Predators type of player. And what they didn't do was pursue the things that they actually need, which is skill, scoring, top-end scoring, especially with Victor Arvidsson having a really down year. And yes, you have Forsberg, you have Matt Duchesne, decent, but not superstar talent. Ily Tolvanen, it's an important year if the light's going to finally turn on for him and they need it. And Phil Tomasino obviously is excited, but we don't know for sure that he's going to make the team. You can't depend on that. You can't bet on him yet to be a superstar by any means at the NHL level. You hope he's going to be good, but you don't know yet. So to me, I'm just looking at this team being, yeah, like you're you're kind of stuck in the mud. You're pretty good. And you just decided, if you're David Paul, you're, you decided to just really lean into the the identity even more which i don't know if that was the best decision i think this team needs more top end skill i don't think they got it in the offseason that's what i don't like about the team kenny what do you not like about the predators well what i don't like about the predators is that it's it seems to be a place where forwards go to watch their offensive games die that's what i don't like about the predators i mean i i don't like that they're in salary cap hell with their top two centermen neither of whom is a number one center in the NHL, in my opinion. I think these guys, I think Ryan Johansson and Matthew Shane have had multiple opportunities to prove that they're num that, that number one stud center that can create offense and, you know, play against shutdown lines and, and, and really be the, be those guys. And neither of them has done it. And I don't think either of them is ever going to do it, you know, and, and I mean, by, by extension, their power play has been confoundingly terrible the last few years and maybe it's not confoundingly terrible maybe there's a reason why it's terrible and that is that they just don't have enough talent up front they just don't have enough skill they don't have enough kind of you know panache up front to make it to make it good um to me that's that's the main you know i mean it's funny i mean we could have had this convert this same preview conversation last year the year before the year before the year before what do you like about nashville their defense, they're great. What do you hate about Nashville? Their forwards suck. Like, okay, so that's the that's it's it's the same it's the same art it's the same conversation this year. Yeah, 
And I think what's troubling is the new conversation, because I agree with everything Ken said, is the goaltending. I'm, I'm worried. You know, I mean, Pekka Rene is at the end of his career. UC Saros is one of the smallest goaltenders in the NHL. And yes, he's a bit of an exception to the rule. He has proven that he can play at this level, but I'm not convinced that he could be that sort of 65 game guy on a consistent basis if your plan is to be a Stanley Cup contender. And I think that's ultimately, obviously, what the Predators want to be. You know, it wasn't that long ago that they got to the final. Uh, but of course, that was when Rene was still in his heyday. Um, eventually, they're going to transition to Yaroslav Askarov. That's kind of a foregone conclusion already in my mind. But it's going to be a little messy, I think, both this season and next, as they transition from Rene being, you know, one of the most valuable players they've ever had in Nashville to a guy that's going to retire at some point. And, you know, can Saros be that guy that carries the load until Askarov becomes the man? Because, I mean, he is still a teenager. Um, I, I'm not sure. I think that, that's something that the Predators are going to have to suss out sort of in the next, I would say, 18 months. And maybe it's even sooner than that. So that's my big concern is, you know, when does Rene, you know, walk out the door or be pushed out the door? Yeah, very good point. And, and I always say this, it's like an unofficial rule about small goalies is, you know, they can be great, but when a small goalie slumps, the net is enormous. And I have to admit, the first time I ever saw UC Saros in the Predators dressing room, I was like, that's stick boys wearing goalie pads. That's funny. And then, I, and then he went and sat down. I was like, that's UC Saros. He's the same size as me. Uh, so summarize the Preds quickly, Ken. Okay, first of all, I want to make an observation. I don't know what weddings you guys are going to. <laughs> But the weddings I go to, there's no Florida Panthers or National Predators fans at them. <laughs> fair, fair. <laughs> oh, anyways. But anyways, if I, was, if I was talking to the guy at the wedding, I'd say, get your fingers out of the way because that window slammed shut. Interesting. <laughs> I thought I thought that was going to thought that was going down a dirty sexual path. You know, get your fingers on. I, I uh, stop, Ken. But... No, 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 never, never. This is a family podcast, guys. Come on, I'm better than that. <laughs> <laughs> and I would say, yeah, Roman Yossi's awesome. No, I've never been to Tootsie's. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I just say, you know, they're secondary. They're the same team. They're doubling down. What's the what's the definition? What's the definition of insanity? It's doing the same thing over and over. That's what the Preds are doing. Uh, let's move on to the Columbus Blue Jackets. This is one of my favorite sleepers. Spoiler alert. Uh, what do you guys like about the Blue Jackets, Ryan? You go first. Well, you know, when I look at the Blue Jackets, obviously the first thing I think of is Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski. I think they're just such an amazing tandem on the back end. Um, you know, don't listen to hockey Twitter. I feel that, uh, you know, Jones is really on the cusp of potentially being a Norris candidate and it, it all kind of resonates from there. They don't have, you know, the greatest forward core in the world, but they have guys that can get it done. I think Max Domi is going to be super motivated and that's when you're going to get the best out of Max Domi. I mean, he's a fierce competitor. Um, I, you know, I don't know if he can be uh, a superstar or anything like that, but I think a motivated Max Domi will be very fun to watch this year. 
and you look at you look at the system. I mean, John Tortorella, he has a system that is super effective. And Merzlikens and Corpusalo both proved last year that they are NHL netminders that can carry the load. And I think that's a tremendous luxury that Columbus has, particularly in this shortened season where it's, you know, it's, it's not going to be normal and there's going to be some hiccups along the way. Um, just, you know, the travel is going to be different and having two goalies that can go back to back with no drop off, I think is a huge advantage for the blue jackets. So I think this is a team that can really hit the ground running and it's, you know, it's not going to be sexy, but it's going to be effective. What I like about the Columbus Blue Jackets is they just don't give a damn what anybody else thinks. They just don't <laughs> care. They just don't care. You know, Yarmo Kekalainen goes out and, you know, loads up at the trade deadline that year. And then let's Panarin walk. Let's Bobrovsky walk. Let's, let's do Shane walk. Doesn't care what people think. You know, you know, goes into the draft this year with his first round pick, takes Yegor Chinikov. And I, I could be wrong, Ryan, but I don't even think you had heard of that guy before. No, yeah, like, like, like there were draft, there were people who are draft experts who were like going through their notes going, who the hell is this guy? Right. And now we're seeing in the world juniors, he's a pretty good player, you know, like, so I, they just don't care. And, and that extends to the coach, obviously, John Tortorella, whom I think personally is a, is a Jack Adams caliber coach. I think he's one of the best coaches in the league. I think he, he, there, whatever it is that he does, he has a way of, having that love hate relationship work for him, you know, in a way that kind of Scotty Bowman did. And he's got a way of getting the best out of players. And he's got a way of knowing exactly who's going and who's not and how to use them and how to deploy them. I think he does a great job with that. Obviously the, their defense, you know, is, is a huge, huge strength for them with uh, Wierenski and Jones, maybe being the top pair in the league. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, I just, I just, you know, I, I think Max Domi is a good acquisition. I don't know that he's the answer, um, but it, it was probably in the net gain uh, up front. I think Josh, Josh Anderson for Max Domi, I think, uh, is a plus on the Columbus side. Yeah, I agree with you guys. I think they are a very well-coached team. And, and Tortorella's style, it has a shelf life. But when it's working, it's really working. And it's been working for a while in Columbus. I think there's just tremendous buy-in from the team. They've loaded up on those sort of lunch pail type personalities. It's a very physical forward group. And I, I think what I like the most about the Blue Jackets is, is it's not a regular season team. It's a playoff team. We saw that. And their, their physical, their game, I think, translates a lot more to the trench warfare of the playoffs, especially Pierre-Luc Dubois. I think he's a good number one center in the regular season. He's a top number one center in the playoffs. And this team, you know, they had that next man up mentality last year. They had a lot of injuries that they got through, whether it was Cam Atkinson, Oliver Bjorkstrand, you know, Seth Jones was hurt for a while. They overcame so many things and they still made the playoffs. And I think they could have a better regular season if they're healthier. With Domi, you know, I agree it's not a huge needle mover, but it, it is, uh, it addresses a need. And in the playoffs, we saw eventually that, you know, Columbus was sort of a one line team up the middle. Uh, I think Domi helps them. He diversifies their attack. And, and I really like what Liam Foody showed late uh, down the stretch last year. I think he could be a special player. He, he, to me, he just looked like a matchup problem. Teams didn't know how to check him because he's fast, but he's, he's pretty big for a fast guy. And he's just, he's difficult for teams to defend. And I think there's a lot of potential there too. So I, I just, I don't know. I, I see them as a playoff sleeper because I like the way they're built. If you're looking at what we don't like, 
you know, Columbus wasn't just okay offensively last year. The Blue Jackets were 28th in offense. They had the tw- number 27 power play. Bringing in Max Domi is not going to completely fix that. And I do think maybe they, they needed to add one more high-end score. They were linked to Mike Hoffman, for example, a lot, and, and not getting him is a disappointment because I, I do think they need one more just trigger man who can be a threat for, you know, I want to say 25 goals, but you know what I mean, prorated, 56-game season, the equivalent of 25 goals. So I still think offense is going to be a problem. They're going to have to win a lot of 2-1 games. What do you guys not like about the Blue Jackets? Uh, Kenny, start with you. Well, I think, you know, you bring up a good point about that whole sort of lunch pill mentality. And I think, I think personally, that was why they didn't go out and get Mike Hoffman. You know, Mike Hoffman is what he is. He's a power play guy who sets up and is an offensive guy, but doesn't play a two-way game, not great five on five. And so you just look at that and you go, okay, well, he's not a Columbus Blue Jacket. We're not going to go out and get him, you know, and that hurts you. I think, you know, you talked about their power play. Their power play is not good. Like it's, it's, and and that, that really wears on a team after a while. Like it really sucks momentum, you know, from a team and, and it sucks energy from a team when they just, when not only does the power play not produce, it just doesn't do anything, you know, and it should be a lot better than it is. And, you know, you talked about John Turquerel on the shelf life. Um, we're going to find out what his shelf life is this year because he's up for a contract next year. And that's going to be a very interesting dynamic. I think this year, as the year goes on, They've already said they're not going to worry about it during the season. They're going to address it in the offseason, which might be a situation where if they do really well, John Tortorella becomes a real sort of, uh, you know, hot candidate in the, in the coaching world. Um, but going back to John Tortorella, I mean, I know I was singing his praises before, but I think the one thing about John Tortorella, I think that is a bit of a downfall is the way he demands that his players play. And you talked about the injuries, Matt. I think it leads to teams getting his teams getting worn down, getting injured, you know, him insisting that they, you know, throw their bodies in front of, you know, in front of slap shots when they're up by four goals. I've never quite understood that, that mentality. I mean, I can see if it's a one, one game and it's the, you know, the third period. Yeah. You put your face in front of a shot to stop it. But if you're up by four, no, don't. And I, and I think, I think that mentality, that sort of just, there's never a, with him, there's never a, there's never an easy time. You know what I mean? It's always, it's, it's gotta be hard. And if it's not hard, he makes it hard. You know what I mean? And I think that wears teams down. And I think that's what's worn down the blue jackets the last couple of years and probably has contributed to the number of injuries they've had at really key times. Hmm. And for me, you know, I, I think this is a, a very good team, but my concern is, if you need a goal in the playoffs, who is that guy? I, there isn't like an obvious answer. Like, you know, you could say, well, you know, like Dubois or maybe Cam Atkinson, uh, you know, like Oliver Bjorkstrand's very talented, but there isn't a guy who you could say, we need a clutch goal. That guy's got it. And that's really, I think the Achilles heel, the Blue Jackets is that they're very good, but they're not the best. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, ha- you know, they even knew that when they ran into Boston in the playoffs um, two years ago is, you know, yeah, they upset the Tampa Bay Lightning, but they did so playing basically Bruins light hockey. And when they ran into the real thing, they, they couldn't hang. Um, so that would be my concern is they don't have that, that ultimate finisher that some other teams do. So 
you know, they, they can take this act pretty far, but I don't think they can go all the way with it. Mm-hmm. Okay, Kenny, you're at a wedding, but you're in Ohio, okay? That's how you meet the Blue Jackets fan this time. So you're, 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 uh, your cousin Justine is getting married in Ohio, and you, <laughs> what are you going to tell the Blue Jackets fan? I'm going to tell them, you know what? Your team is run by a bunch of cowboys, and you should be loving this. And I'm going to say, uh, no, fantasy camp Tortorella is not a thing. You should probably get your deposit back. <laughs> I'm going to say this is a sleeper. They remind me of the 2012 LA Kings. And I have this gut feeling about Columbus going all the way. I don't think winning the cup, but I could see them being the team that like goes all the way and represents the Eastern Conference. Or, or are they the West this year? Whatever conference they are. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember now. But, I, uh, but I, I could see them being that team. Just the way they're built. They don't have to be high in the standings. They just have to get in. And then they're going to give teams trouble. They lost to the eventual cup champion last year, right? But uh, they took down a pretty good team in Toronto last year. And I, and I think they're going to be better this year. So I like them as a sleeper. Uh, now we have a Stanley Cup finalist from last year, a team that made a surprise run, the Dallas Stars. So, you know, the team, they look pretty similar to last year. Is that a good or bad thing? I don't know. So, Ryan, what do you like about the Dallas Stars right now? Well, they still have all the high-end elements that they did, um, but now those high-end elements hopefully are fully recovered. I mean, they have Tyler Sagan. Uh, You know, Jamie Benn, I I, I have to admit, I thought he was washed before the playoffs, and then he really stepped it up. Like, I thought he was cooked because power forwards, you know, they have a certain shelf life. But Jamie Benn, I mean, he really stepped up. And then you have Miro Heskinen on the back end who – is quickly becoming one of the best defensemen in the league. And he's not alone, which is, uh, I think, the important thing. You've still got John Klingberg, Essa Lindell. Uh, Lindell obviously plays a different role, but still an important one. And, you know, you'll have Ben Bishop back in net. You know, obviously, Anton Hudobin was a huge story in the playoffs. But, you know, again, he's a short guy and he's a veteran. Eventually, there would be a book on him and eventually – they figured the book out in the playoffs, uh, even though Dallas was able to, to make it to the final. So they have all the elements. That, would, that to me would be the positive, is that this team has the talent and you know, hopefully they're healthy enough um, that they can, they can make another go of it. Yeah, I, I think that, that Joe Pavelski has changed every, almost everything in Dallas. I think, I think that he's been a huge, huge reason for this team's success. And the reason why is because he gives them options now, you know? I mean, what were the Dallas Stars before last year? They were a one-line team. If you shut down Tyler Tyler Sagan, Jamie Benn, and Alexander Radulov, you basically, you know, held the the formula to beating the Dallas Stars. Well, you can't do that anymore because Joe Pavelski's there. Dennis Gurianoff has, you know, stepped up his offensive game. You know, in the playoffs, you get a guy like Joel Kivaranta, you know, coming <laughs> coming out of nowhere and doing a bunch of things. Um, so that they that I think that's really been a game changer for the Stars. I think it's given them a new complexion. It's given them made them more dangerous, and it's made them you know given given a lot more texture to their to their offense up front. You know, uh, and obviously, I mean, Miro Heiskin is is not their best young player. He's their best player, as far as I'm concerned. He's their best player. Um, and as you say, as you say, Ryan, he's got, you know, a decent supporting cast behind him. 
I think Jamie Oleksiak is getting it now. Like, I think he's, I think he's figured it out. And I think now he's, he's like, he's like a legitimate top four guy now, I think, you know, who can actually contribute some offense sometimes and not be a liability. Like, I think he gets it now. So, you know, I, I really like that. Um, I, is Ben Bishop hurt? I think he's hurt right now. Yeah, ben Bishop uh, is, as far as I understand, he's still projected yeah. to be out until April, as is Tyler Sagan with the hip. Right. And I think they're both, respectively, the last I heard, still right. both going to be out for April. So they're going to miss, you know, two-thirds, three-quarters right. of the regular season. Yeah. Right, exactly, which will make the Anton, you know, I mean, and we all kind of, you know, sort of raised a few eyebrows when they signed Kudobin to that contract that they did. But this year, it's, it's probably going to look really good. And, you know, they've got Jay Gottinger, so they're going to need, you know, in the regular season and a compressed regular season, when you've got all these three and fours and, you know, certain number of back-to-backs, you're going to need both of those guys to, to really step up. For sure. And, and, you know, I think that team defense in general is going to be a strength for Dallas again, because, you know, they obviously have the great decor and, and Heiskanen, he could be a Norris Trophy winner this year, as, as early as this year, for all we know. Essel Lindell, you can make a case he's the best penalty killing defenseman in the league. And then you have Thomas Hartley, who I think is going to be a full-time player. So the, the risks get richer on defense. And we know that, that it's a very conscientious group of forwards in terms of two-way ability, whether it's Faxar, Rupe Hintz. Um, and, you know, Kadobin, we he's shown he can at least be a, a luxury stopgap. And even if you look at his rate stats, like the goal saved above average, he actually graded out as the best goalie in the entire league over the last two years in the regular season. Um, but if we're, it's funny, you know, I keep transitioning my likes into dislikes because for Dallas, for me, I'm worried about this team this year. And I worry a lot for their offense because you don't have Tyler Sagan. And because of the RFAs, because of Radic Faxa and Rupe hans Gariana, you could not afford, Dallas could not afford to pursue any upgrades. So they're going with status quo minus a couple really important guys. And that includes Ben Bishop as well. And we know, as you said, Ryan, Kodobin, as the playoffs got deeper, you know, backup goalies are backup goalies for a reason. Kudobin's great, but he got a little bit exposed and now he's going to have that weight on his shoulders again in this condensed season. So I don't know. I'm looking at, you know, great defense. No one can dispute that, but I don't know where the goal is going to come from without Tyler Sagan in the lineup because you, you were not able to replace his production because you had to spend money on those RFAs and the goaltending is not as sturdy as it has been the last couple of years. So I, I presently see more, problems that more more cons than pros when i look at dallas right now do you agree kenneth well i mean they essentially didn't have tyler sagan during the playoffs last year um hey oh they made the final right so um i i think there's sort of that next man up one for all you know sort of stuff that we talk about um but yeah i mean offense is a, is a real concern for this team and i and not just in the fact that you know that they they're not a you know, hugely offensive team. I think the fact too, is that like, you see it, like when you have to work that hard to score, you know, and goals are at such a premium, you know, you know, you gotta, you, you gotta just, you know, you gotta work your tail off just to score two in a game. And then that puts pressure on your defense and your goaltending, you know, to keep it tight at the other end. It just creates a situation that just, you know, you just, you just feel like you're grinding, 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 grinding all the time. And, and that, that can wear on a team. And I think it did wear on the Dallas Stars as the playoffs went along. You know, they did get, they did get hurt by, you know, hit by injuries. And they did run into a Tampa Bay team that was, you know, they, they, were, they were so much better than, than, than Dallas, I thought. 
uh, in the Stanley Cup Finals. So yeah, I worry about that. Just that constant like. It's just not easy to play that way all the time. You know, it doesn't come easy. It's not fun. It's not, you know, it's not like you, you go on these runs and you feel really good about yourself. You're just, you're just always grinding, always, always grinding. Yeah, and speaking of that, I mean, the Stanley Cup finalist hangover is very real, not only because of the injuries, but also just, I, I think this year in particular, the mental toll of being in that quarantine bubble for months and then coming away with nothing. I mean, that's gotta be a grind in itself. So for me, you know, Dallas, I, I would worry that they'll be a little mentally spent coming into this season. I'm sure they have all the motivation in the world and they will tell themselves that, but I think it's going to be difficult for them to really get into a groove after coming so close and then ultimately falling short at the end. That would be my biggest concern is that, you know, a lot of things catch up to them at this point. And, and obviously, as we mentioned with Sagan and Bishop, you know, starting the season on the shelf will not help. Yeah. Very good points. And, you know, I get a sense that I think that the the stars they knew that last year was their shot. They were, you know, guys are always emotional after they lose, but I think you could really see it even more than normal. Uh, guys like Sagan and Ben, I think they knew that was their shot. And if I'm talking to the Dallas Stars fan uh, at a Texas wedding, hopefully, you know, with some really good barbecue there, I'm saying, bust, bust, bust. I think Dallas Stars are my maybe my number one bust team this year. And it's not that I don't like the overall makeup. It's just that their team, I don't think they can afford to be without Sagan and Bishop for this long and have nothing coming in to help. So I think they missed their shot last year was it. And they knew it. So they're my bus team. That's my outlook. Ryan, what is your outlook on the Dallas stars? Um, I would just say uh, every time Jamie Alexiak rushes the puck, I think of when a defensive lineman gets an interception and runs like 80 yards for a touchdown. I enjoy it so, so much. So I agree with Ken about Jamie Alexiak. I think you figured it out. Uh, so that's what I would say at a wedding uh, because yeah, the, the mental grind is the big thing for me. Well, what I'd say to this guy at this wedding needs a bit of context here. You guys know Auntie Mackinnon, right? Like our buddy, yes, our buddy who does play by play for Finland. The Finnish well, Jim Houston, they call him. What's that? The Finnish Jim Houston. Yeah. He, he's him. one of the greatest guys in the world. Like I just, I just love the guy. He's awesome. He's wonderful. Um, but last year when Kivaranta got that hat trick, he actually said, Joel effing Kivaranta. When he was doing play by play. And that's what I just say to the guy because he's probably drunk. I just called Joel effing Kivaranta. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Okay, now we're getting to, to the top of this division, which I believe is the central. And it's, it's funny, your brain is like, where, where are we? You know, we're, we just talked about Dallas, but now we're talking about Carolina. Whoa. <laughs> Uh, but that's who's next, the Carolina Hurricanes. We have them as the number two team in the Central Division. Sure, call it the Central. Uh, what do you guys like about Carolina? I know there's a lot to choose from here. So, uh, Ryan, you go first. Well, I mean, this just seems like a roster that is in a really good place, led by Sebastian Ajo, um, but obviously with plenty of help behind him, Tara Vinen, um, you know, Niederreiter, Andre Svechnikov, I think, is going to take an even bigger step this year, and he's already a pretty potent weapon. And then you look at the back end, you know, Dougie Hamilton, Jacob Slavin, you know, Brett Pesci, when all those guys are healthy, 
they really give you everything you want in a blue line. So that to me is the exciting thing about Carolina is that they have a lot of good elements that are either in their prime or about to come into their prime. And they're just playing good modern hockey. Um, and it's, and it's effective. And I think we've, we've seen a team that's on the cusp of doing something pretty potent. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see it this year. Yeah, this is a top four. I think guys that is, is elite in the NHL. Like it's an, it's, it's a, it's an, it's a really, really solid top four. And, and like, I don't think any of them ever is going to win the Norris trophy. You know, Dougie Hamilton might come close, but, and he probably would have, he probably would have come close if he hadn't gotten hurt. Um, but just sort of their, their, they are the sum of their parts and then some, you know, they're all really good at different aspects of the game. And I just think, you know, when you put that all together, that's a really elite defense core. And I, and I agree with you about, you know, what they have up front, you know, with, with, uh, you know, with that top line with Aho, Taravainen and, uh, and uh, Svechnikov. Um, you know, and, and I just think that Rod Brindamore is the right coach for this team right now. I don't, I don't know how good a coach he is. I suspect he's a pretty good coach, but I think he was just tailor-made for this group at this time. And uh, I, I'm actually really looking for this team to really make a step forward. And, you know, you talk about your sleeper teams. Um, I'm not sure if you can care, classify this team as a sleeper team, but uh, they are for me. So I, I, I really like kind of everything that they have going right now. Well, almost everything. We'll get to the dislikes in a minute. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you guys. Uh, I, I think that, you know, we know that they've got probably the best overall defense core in the league. And it's still possibly going to get better because you have Jake Bean kind of knocking on the door for a full-time role now, too, who's a really exciting puck mover. Uh, we know this is a dominant possession team. They're one of the elite possession teams in the league. And I think Svechnikov, Aho Teravainen, especially we saw in the Rangers series during the play-ins, look like one of the best lines on the planet. And I'm starting to get like heart trophy sleeper vibes from uh, Andrei Svechnikov. I don't know if it's going to be this year or next year, but I think he's going to make that supernova leap and he's going to go from star to super to superstar. I really believe it. I think he's truly special and he's not just a talented guy. He's a beloved guy in the team. There's a Steve chase on award that the, that the hurricanes give to their, like their person of the year, their most dedicated, you know, in all aspects of the game and just being a community leader on the team and, and Svechnikov won it, which is really cool for a guy that young to be that highly regarded by his own teammates. I just think he's a do it all. He's a super, super talented guy, but he's also a heart and soul leader in the making. And I think it could be this year that he breaks through and, you know, we're seeing some of the depth, at least Vincent Trocek, you know, he hasn't been the same since that really bad leg injury, but he, he brings secondary scoring and you can't sleep on Martin Netsch who established himself now as a full-time NHLer. I think he's got another gear or two and can become a, a legitimate threat in the secondary scoring. So I just think there's a lot to like about this team. They work well, well as a unit. They're good on possession. Uh, but, you know, they do have some warts, as you implied, Ken. So we'll let you start here. What do you not like about the Hurricanes? I don't like their goaltending. I, <laughs> yeah. I don't like it. I just, I don't like it. And and it's not that necessarily because Peter Mrazek and James Reimer are not great. It's just they're too damn streaky. Like, they're too erratic. Like, I remember somebody in the Detroit uh, Red Wings organization previously, and I, I won't say who it was, used to call Peter Morazic Peter Erratic. Um, <laughs> you know, because he is really erratic, and he's really streaky, and James Reimer is that too. Like, they can be really, really good for 
you know, pockets of time. And then you just wonder what's happened. Like it just falls off and then it comes back again. And that's, that's almost worse than just having a guy who's okay. You know what I mean? What not knowing what to expect from your goaltending. Um, you know, so, and, and I mean, if Svechnikov is the guy that, that you, you think he might become Matt, then that kind of makes this point move. But I would have liked to have seen them go out and get a real, like, sort of 50 goal sort of game breaker guy. Like, like I would have loved to have seen a, you know, them trade one of their defensemen for say, uh, you know, a pack of line or something like that, you know? Um, but you know, and maybe that'll still happen. Who knows? Um, but yeah, it's mostly the goaltending that I don't like on this team and not because it's not good, just because it's, you never know what, you know, reach into the bag and pull it out. You never really know what you're going to get with these guys. Yeah, and I completely agree. You know, with Reimer and Mrazek, they're they're okay. Uh, sometimes they're very good, but for a team that has, I would assume, Stanley Cup aspirations, I just don't think they can get that far with this pairing because it only takes a week of bad hockey for your season to end when it comes to the playoffs, and that would be my concern with Carolina. Is at some point they get let down by that tandem. Yeah, I'm with you guys. I even I wrote, really? Come on. Just because it's it's disappointing to me because I think the Hurricanes are right there. And I feel like if they had just gone added that piece when it was such a fertile market this offseason to it was a trade. There was a trade market for goalies and a UFA market for goalie. There are so many options out there. And I thought they were going to try and make it work. We know they were linked to Frederick Anderson for a while. Um, yeah, it's 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 trusting those two in, in big games and the secondary scoring, you know, it's better but I still I, I still feel like the Hurricanes are a team I don't want to quite say one line team but if you shut down the big line they're just not nearly as scary and that's still a problem they have to get deeper uh and that's how I'd kind of summarize them I'd say they're right there but just go get a goalie come on man uh what would you say Ryan to summarize the Hurricanes well if I'm at a Carolina wedding I say Sebastian Ajo is the mustard-based sauce Andre Svechnikov <laughs> is the vinegar-based sauce Barbecue pen. Sure. sure, let's go with that. <laughs> I, I would say, I would say to the guy, look, it, it, you know, you talked about your sleeper teams. This is my sleeper team. This is a team I think that could do some damage, and I, I think it's time for this team to take a major step forward. Excellent. So now we finish off with the reigning Stanley Cup champions, the Tampa Bay Lightning, who we now know are missing their star Nikita Kucherov probably for the entire regular season. Some nice little. Dee -dee 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 salary cap tap dancing going on to make everything fit they got their rfas locked up uh they're even without kutrov there's a ton to like about this team so ryan tell me what you like about the lightning right now well i mean this is a stanley cup roster uh again they have all the elements and yeah it's unfortunate they won't have kutrov but if any team could be okay without nikita kutrov it's the tampa bay lightning because they have Braden point and, you know, Anthony Sorelli is not the same kind of player, obviously, but I mean, I think the world of Anthony Sorelli, I think he's just so clutch and he's such a good two-way player. And you look at that defense core with Hedman and McDonough and Sergachev's back in the fold with still more to give. I mean, Sergachev is still really young. He's been around for a while, but there's still room for his game to hit another level. And I think we'll see that pretty soon. And then, of course, with Andre Vasilevsky and Nett, you know you're safe. So they have everything you need. I mean, John Cooper is 
officially the coach who has won at every level he has coached at now that he has the NHL title and they know how to do it. They've done it and they've got the roster to do it. The really only question is, you know, sort of the hunger to do it again. And I'm sure that will not be a problem. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's going to be a problem at all. And I, you know, I, I think that this team is one of those teams that you were, you know, that we've talked about this before is that, um, you know, you're waiting for them to do it. You're wondering when they're going to do it and if they're going to do it. And now they've done it. So now it's like, let's do it again. And I, and I think it'll be a lot easier for them to say that. I think, you know, they come into this year, like, like just consider the mindset that they're coming into this year with, with a po- as opposed to what they came into last year with. You know, they came into last year going, what is going on here? We just lost four straight to Columbus, you know, and now they're coming in. Yeah, we did it. We're the best team. We stuck with it. We played the right way. You know, we've managed to, you know, with a few exceptions, managed to basically keep this core together. You know, in, in Braden Point and Anthony Sorelli, we've got as one, two, we've probably got two of the, two of the, you know, elite two-way centermen in the game, you know, and, and if, if, you know, Kudrov is out for the regular season, I don't know what, you know, whether Steven Stamkos is, you know, what his health situation is, but if he can come back, and be the player that he was, well, that kind of, I know they play different positions, but that kind of plugs that hole right there, right? Um, you know, they have Victor Hedman, one of the best defensemen in the game. They have Andre Vasilevsky, one of the best goalies in the game. They have John Cooper, one of the best coaches in the game. I don't see any let up in this team at all. I think they know that they have an opportunity to do something really special and win multiple cups, uh, or at least, you know, be that kind of team like Chicago that you know, wins three cups in, in five years or whatever. Um, I think they know they can do that. I think they know they have the personnel. They've got the, they've got the front office and the ownership sort of, um, you know, foundation that, that allows that to happen. And I think they're just going to keep the pedal to the metal. Yeah, I'm with you guys. And, you know, what I really like uh, about what's happened to the Lightning, you know, obviously Steve Eisenman got them most of the way there. But what Julian Brisebois has done in the last couple of years is he's transitioned the team from, you know, the most talented team in the NHL to now the most talented and diverse team in the NHL. And what I mean is the Lightning can win in so many ways now. So, yes, of course, they still have all the high-end skill, even without Kucherov. They can they can score a ton. But, you know, when you bring in over the last couple of years, a couple of years ago it was Brian McDonough, and, and then, of course, the trades, sacrificing first-round picks for, for Blake Coleman and Barkley Goodrow, those guys really transformed the penalty killing, and they made this team harder to play against. And now the Lightning, they can win an ugly game too. Like, they beat Columbus, the team that, that – that kind of outgrinded them the year before and they can still win with the running gun games. So there's just no weakness. And of course they got an elite goaltender in an era where goaltending is supposedly fickle. Andre Vasilevsky is a Vezina finalist three years in a row, which is unheard of. I think right now it shows what a star he is. And of course, Victor Hedman, who's now I think maturing into that future hall of famer it, it, looking at his career trajectory. So I just love that Tampa can win so many ways and that prepares them well for a season in which they won't have Kucherov because they're confident in their two-way ability. They're a really good defensive team. They're not just a good offensive team. So what are the flaws in the lightning? If any, Kenny, what do you have? Well, it's, you know, you're really sort of searching here. You're, you know, I mean, it's funny as the other teams, we were looking for good things. This one, you're looking for bad things, I think. And I, and I guess, you know, one of those obviously got to be that they're not going to have Nikita Kucherov. I thought, you know, I mean, Leon Dreisaitl won the Hart Trophy last year, but for the calendar year of 2020, I don't think there was a better player in the NHL or in the world than Nikita Kucherov. From the beginning, from January 1st to the end of the season, I thought he was the, one of the best player in the world. 
Um, you know, so that that's going to hurt. I, I wonder a little bit about the residual effects of the whole Stephen Stamkos thing. You know, I mean, we heard rumblings over the summer that they kind of had explored whether or not they might be able to move him and, and, and that. And I think there's always been an uneasy alliance there a little bit, um, you know, because, you know, Stephen Stamkos, you know, he can't be one of their top two centers anymore. Um, you know, so where does he fit? You know, where does his salary fit? Where, you know, that whole dynamic, I, I, I wonder if, you know, for a team that is so well put together and so, you know, so cohesive, whether or not that might not throw a little bit of a wrench into the problem, into the, into the situation. Um, and I guess, you know, if, if you really want to nitpick, um, I think they're a little light on the left side of their defense core, like all their elite guys, uh, or sorry, they're a little light on the right side. All their elite guys shoot left. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you've got Chernak and a couple of other guys, I guess, on the left side. Um, you know, so maybe that's, maybe that's a bit of a problem too. Yeah. For me, it's simply that they're going to have a huge target on their back. Um, you know, you're the Stanley Cup champion. Clearly, you're the team to beat. You're coming off the longest run of any team other than Dallas, obviously, because you're in the finals together. And you're a little beaten up already, you know, Kudrop being the most obvious example. So, you know, there will be no nights off uh, for the Tampa Bay Lightning in this shortened season. They're going to have to really push to get back into the playoffs. And then once you get to the playoffs, you know no one's going to take you lightly. Um, so, I mean, again, it's nitpicking, but they are going to have to be on point all the time. No pun intended. Mm -hmm. And I do think they got thinner on defense. You know, they've lost Bogosian and, and Shattenkirk. They're still fine on defense if everyone's healthy. But I, I think there's a little bit less margin for error now. And, and we've seen Victor Hedman is, you know, he might be aging into the load management stage of his career, kind of like Evgeny Malkin, where you kind of know that late in the season, it feels like Hedman always misses a handful of games and it's worth it. But this team's a little thinner, so you can't afford to rest your, your star players maybe as much as normal, especially with Kucherov out. And I think there's pressure on Stephen Stamkos this year a guy who's had so much trouble staying healthy assuming he's ready for the start of the season this is a year where they're like it, they have to say Stephen could you be healthy this year please we kind of need you especially because he's been playing the wing more the last couple of years and it's it's not exactly a, a confident proposition to be like you know who needs to be healthy for us Stephen Stamkos that's the guy we need to not get hurt because we need those goals so I'm a little worried about that uh, and I still you know it's funny I've been saying all, all along Steven Stamkos for, for Max Pacioretty or something. It seems like Vegas is the perfect spot, I think, for Stamkos if a trade were ever to happen. I think that's what Vegas needs. And they and supposedly, you know, they may or may not have been chopping Pacioretty. So maybe you build a trade around those two. I don't know. Uh, so let's summarize the lightning before we end this podcast. You're enjoying the sun at this Tampa Bay wedding. I guess COVID's out of the way if you're in Florida. Uh, what do you have, Ryan? Summarize the lightning. Another Stanley Cup parade? You're going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> I would tell this guy at the wedding, unlike you, the Lightning will not have a hangover. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say, you know, they're not going to be beasts. They're not going to own the regular season, but it's not really going to matter because Kucherov's just going to parachute back in and be like, oh, look, I am suddenly healthy and time for playoff, right in time when the playoffs come. And 
then they're going to be good again. That's my prediction. And he's actually going to do it that way too. Deedly, deedly. What did you say? Deedly? <laughs> that's how he's going to do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that summarized the quote-unquote Central Division preview for the 2021 season. Hope you enjoyed it, and we will be back later in the week to preview the quote-unquote West Division.